This episode of Pot Cemetery is brought to you by Farmer Vincent's Smoked Meats. It takes all kinds of critters to make Farmer Vincent's fritters. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's Motel Week on Pod Cemetery with 1980s Motel Hell and 2003's Identity. Motel Hell was recommended to us by Nick and G. Soto, and Identity was recommended as a companion to Motel Hell by Nick. So thank you both very, very much. It's an interesting episode with an interesting theme. (laughs) (laughs) Moving right into our first movie, 1980s Motel Hell. Directed by Kevin Connor and written by Robert Jaffe, Stephen Charles Jaffe, and an uncredited contribution by Tim Tutrello, Robert Jaffe wrote Night Flyers, which is on our list. We will eventually get to it. The movie stars Rory Calhoun, Paul Linke, Nancy Parsons, and Nina Axelrod. What is Motel Hell about? A brother and sister run a motel, although I don't know why. It's uh, <laughs> it's the it's uh. <laughs> more importantly, they also have a farm where they sell meat, and it's supposed to be smoked pork. But it's supposed to be the best meat in the county. But it's a very specific type of meat that people would not be happy to know that they were eating. Uh huh. The movie is available with ads on Roku, Tubi, Pluto, and something called Flix Fling, which is the first time I've ever heard of that. You can rent it for $4 on Apple, Vudu, Microsoft, and Flix Fling, or buy it for $15 on those same services. Although it says here $10 on Flix Fling. I don't know if I trust Flix Fling coming out of nowhere, offering a $5 discount. <laughs> Should people watch Motel Hell? I I'm gonna I know that a lot of people are gonna be mad at me for this, but personally I do not think there is any need to see this movie unless you just like very strange movies. Because Which I do. Well, well, so do I. <laughs> I like weird stuff, but when I watch weird stuff, I want it to be at least somewhat funny, and I didn't I did not see the humor that people were talking about for it this It wasn't film. very funny. I mean, it's described as a black comedy. And you know me, I love black comedy. Yeah, but so it's not like outright jokes. But yeah, there's not really a whole hell of a lot to laugh at. There are definitely bits that are intended to be funny. And I did laugh at this movie. But mainly, the value I derived from it was from its weirdness. It is just... So strange. And honestly, like, I don't know if you're supposed to be laughing at just the premise itself, but I personally think that the premise itself is quite creepy. And yeah. and, and if this movie had taken itself seriously, this could have definitely been 
a gritty, creepy, scary movie, but they did not want to take themselves seriously. And if you're not going to take yourself seriously, then make it more funny. Uh, This just kind of ran in between, and so it didn't really make me laugh. It just seemed like a bizarre film. Yeah. And if you want the gritty version of this plot, just watch the first season of Hannibal. (laughs) Where there is a man... Buries people for food. (laughs) Yeah. Not the same way, but similar, actually. In fact, yeah, like, here's the thing. Like, if all they were doing was killing people and turning them into food, it's not that scary. Like, that is a thing that we've heard in a lot of movies. Now, is this the first one to do that? No. Of course we know of the Demon Barber of Fleet Street. You know, like, there's lots of stories that carry these motifs and these themes, but this one just does it very strangely. (laughs) Vincent's meat is people. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, you can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 1980s Motel Hell. Conveniently located off the main road is Ida and Vincent's Motel. You want us to uh, register? No, that won't be necessary. You'll never forget Ida's cooking, Farmer Vincent's prompt and courteous service, and ask to see their secret garden. You just might die laughing. Motel Hell rated R. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Motel Hell begin? Smoked meats. This is it. <laughs> That's the slogan. That is the slogan. Yep. And we see that, and then we get to see the farmer himself. What is his name? Vincent. That's right. The farmer Vincent himself, and he is simply sitting on the side of the road with a gun. Yep. Just waiting. And there is a motorcycle crash, and he has caused it. Now, this movie is going to run into the same problem that all these movies have, and they never address it. Yeah. How is it possible that this many people are going missing in the exact same area, and no one is looking into it? A rough estimate made by somebody who just found them put the total of vehicles in the marsh, a la Psycho, at 200. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that's the only reason I think that they even put a motel in this movie is just to have another. It's uh, just an avenue for procuring victims. I I think it's another homage to Psycho. Oh, okay, yeah, that's fair. You know, like, because he only really uses his motel once. Yeah, all the rest, all the rest could be explained away by people who just happen to be traveling down the highway or people that specifically stop at the motel for his meats. Mm-hmm. Like, even the first family at the very beginning with the little kid that he, like, screams at. <laughs> uh, even that family could have been explained away by the meat. You know, them saying, because that's all they were talking about. Yeah. When they left was, oh, can we get the meat? Can we da-da-da? They could have just been customers. Yes. They didn't have to be... Uh, motel residents. Yes. And literally the only couple that this matters for is the couple that is looking for the orgy. And they are probably the funniest uh, bit. The most overtly humorous. Yeah, the yes. most like, okay, I see that I am supposed to be laughing at this. Now, 
The problem is that it's just not that funny. No, you know, it's, not. It, it's a guy dressed up also I don't want to say silly, but dressed in a in a way that is meant to make you laugh. And it's that is his clear plastic. He has he has a clear plastic skirt on and he's wearing a bra. Like that's supposed and then he's shaving his chest. You know, like that's the that's where the humor is. And and he's really excited to have sex with this old man and his sister. Now, that was the hardest part for me to wrap my mind around. <laughs> I was like, they just wanted to be freaky. I get that. I <laughs> get that the you're better. here for an orgy. You're excited for whatever. But they keep that level of excitement up even when they find out that, oh, it's these two, uh-huh. an old man and a very large woman. Like, not that there's anything wrong with that. You are allowed to be into whatever you want. That's it another, just doesn't seem like something they would have been interested in. That's another way they procure them. Like, you didn't even need the motel aspect because the only reason this couple was here was because they saw an ad for this place in, like, a kink magazine or a kink uh, brochure like so the, the motel didn't even need to be a factor yeah so it's at, just another illusion to it's called motel hello by the way and then the o flickers throughout the entire movie and then at the end the very end the last shot the o finally goes out and it just says motel hell and it's like that's the same thing that it's been doing this entire movie it's not some profound moment <laughs> i wrote down motel hello are you kidding me and then I wrote down, oh, you are. Okay, then. <laughs> so, this motorcycle crash involves two people. The woman's name is? Terry. Terry. The man's name is Bo. Uh-huh. And that is important. Terry is going to become a main character. And yes. Bo is going to become extremely important. Very important. Although, if you don't remember who he is when he does his important thing... I could understand that. I understand, <laughs> and it doesn't matter. Uh-huh. It really does. <laughs> like... The fact that it's him makes no difference to the plot. So ostensibly for the plot, he rescues Terry and Bo from this car crash that he caused, we know, and brings Terry in to the motel. His sister's there and is like, what the hell are you doing? And he nurses her back to health. But he tells her, oh, your your guy friend, he died in the morning and I've already buried him in the cemetery. Well, I hope you're feeling better. I want to see Bo. Where is he? Uh, he passed away this morning. You mean he's dead? I don't believe it. I want to see him. Well, it's too late. I, I buried him at sunrise. If that sounds insane, and it's if it insane. sounds like it, she should be like, what the fuck? You're absolutely right, uh, except for the fact that he has a younger brother. Like who, 25 years younger, by the way. Yes, who is the town sheriff somehow. Bruce is his name. And he will lie for his brother and say it's okay. Who gave you permission to bury him? <laughs> Uh, ma'am, in this county, under, uh, extenuating circumstances, it's okay. Uh, which... What's like, the extenuating circumstance? Does Bo not have any family? Does <laughs> Bo not have any friends? I, well, I think that's one of the things that Terry says is they just, they only had each other. He didn't know that before right. he said this. Like, it, it was it, a bad idea keeping somebody alive when you were just going to murder 
her guy friend. And if you are wondering why he kept her alive, so are we. The best I can come up with is, number one, he was instantly attracted to her. And number two, had a mind to teach her about the smoking and and then let her carry on the legacy over time because he was attracted to her. Okay, so Chris says that, and yes, later on, she will become attracted to him immediately because he's like her savior. He's like her white knight. That's her whole thing. Who cares? And, and she was with Bo, who was already an older dude. Yes, so whatever. That's really not important. But he will treat her almost like a daughter, and when she will sexually advance on him, he will say, no, I can't do that unless I'm married, in which case she will say, well, then let's go ahead and get married. And he and says, like, yes. what is happening? Yeah, this movie is nuts. <laughs> That's and, way later. We're but, not even there yet. But so he says yes there, and, but like, and I guess we're supposed to understand that he was attracted to her, but there he didn't do anything that made it seem like he was until that happened. And then also Bruce's younger brother is going to be super attracted to her, but he's going to make advances on her, which she's not going to appreciate. And um, she's still really chill about that, too, by the way. So chill. Okay, let's talk about that. Okay, he's <laughs> going to ask her out on a date. Oh my god, is it the cheapest date ever? He takes her to a makeout point where he then clears it out, makes everyone leave, and for some reason a chick who's naked decides to run around in naked. In the headlights, yeah. For uh-huh. no good reason. But he gets rid of them, and she's like, why are we here? And he gives her binoculars to watch a drive-in movie. And he makes... For free! And he makes the... Uh, For free, people! It's not clear if it's the woman at his station or he's talking directly to the woman who runs the drive-in, but he then has her pipe the sound through his car radio that far away. So, yeah, and now you're just watching this movie through binoculars, and that's like, just take her to the drive-in! Yes, it's it's so weird and silly. But anyway, he will make advances on her, and she will say, please don't, please stop, and he won't. And then at one point, he's going to think that she yells out, somebody, somebody hate, help, help me. me. Yeah. And he will respond with, jeez, I'm sorry. And then she responds with, oh, that wasn't me. Bruce, Sorry. I didn't say that. And I'm sitting here like, what <laughs> As is if, No, happening? I was okay with it. <laughs> yeah, what is going on in this fucking movie? I don't know. This is what we mean when we say it's weird. Okay, anyway, the best part of this movie for me is the sister. Yes, that's she- Ida. Ida is played by Nancy Parsons, who you'll know if you've ever seen Porky's. She's the one, you know that, that peephole in the shower thing? One of the guys puts his dick in there and scares all the girls, and then she comes in and then grabs his dick. Good like for her. Yeah. <laughs> she's but she's Fuck the battle movie. axe bitch sort of house mother in Porky's. That movie has some <laughs> I've never seen it. I've it, never actually seen it. It's not the best. I am don't imagine it is. She is fantastic because not only is she the brightest part of the film, which is weird because she is one of the villains. She's bright in the fact that until she becomes jealous of Terry, 
She is actually super sweet. Uh-huh. And like, yes, she is taking part in what's going on at their farm, but you get the impression that she's kind of dim-witted. Yeah. So she's just doing what her older brother has taught her to do. So like, it doesn't seem nefarious. Yes, she can be a little cruel. Yeah, no, to totally, the but you like her. You like her. I yeah. don't know why. There's just something about her until she goes nuts and gets super jealous of Terry. And tries to kill Tries Terry to murder Terry. By drowning her. And then she just says to Terry, I'm so sorry, I was just scared. No, see, that's the thing. It was, I wrote down here that it was a perfect cover. What she does is she pretends to drown and then knocks Terry off of her inner tube in the lake and then, like, acting like she's panicking, like, pulls Terry down underwater and holds her underwater. So if Terry does survive, it just seems like the innocent flailings of a panicking person who's drowning. Like, Yeah, that, but even Terry, even Terry says... She's chill with it, though. Yeah, but as soon as, <laughs> as, soon as she, as soon as Ida leaves, Ter- Terry will say to Vincent, who saved her in yeah, this Yeah, who moment, actually again, jumped in and saved her, yeah. Uh-huh. Again. That's when she's like, yes, I will marry you. That's why she's in uh-huh. love with him. She sees him as a white knight. But she'll say to him, you have no idea how terrifying it is to be pulled under by someone like that. So I think she knew. No, I, I think she's just talking about a person who was desperate and didn't realize they were doing it. You know, like when you... Uh, I have a rule. Like, it's one of the only rules I have in our relationship <laughs> that Kelsey can't tickle me too much <laughs> because it's this thing that I have where if I can't con- I can't control my body when I'm being tickled and I'm really terrified that I'm going to hurt her <laughs> like by flailing wildly and accidentally slapping her or something like that and I don't want that to happen so I'm like don't tickle me like it's that same sort of thing like you you're you're just flailing wildly because you think you're drowning and you don't even realize you're pulling somebody under i i thought that that was a brilliant plan on her part (laughs) but so there is another allusion to psycho when they first bring her in they go up to quote-unquote grandma's room yeah and they put her in the bed and it felt very much like putting The dead mother in the bed. So it it does. It's implied that their granny is the one that got them started down this road because she's the one who always used to say, "Meat's meat, and man's gotta eat." Well, okay, so they're the talking reason, about eating a dog in that case, right? So the reason that she would say that is she would kill any creature—frogs, mm-hmm. squirrels, dogs—you know, anything—and they ended up eating a dog once. And they tell that story to Terry before Terry's kind of figured anything out, and Terry's like, "What the." Fuck, like, yeah, and uh-huh. she's weirded out by it. She knew she was eating a dog. Well, Granny never put any distinctions on any of God's <laughs> creatures. She always used to say, Meats, meat, meat, and, and man's gotta eat. <laughs> and in that moment when they tell that story, Ida will say, you want to know what makes Vincent's meat so good? And Vincent fucking gut punches her punches her which makes terry extremely uncomfortable and again like you might be wondering well if he makes her super uncomfortable why does she want to marry him i don't know terry and the whole movie will forget about it because bruce is like hey how about you and i go for a walk and that's when their relationship sort of starts yes and then she's so put off by bruce that she kind of becomes more attracted to vincent exactly 
Exactly. Men, I don't know how to make this more obvious and clear to you. Girls like guys who are not all over them. Yeah. Girls like guys that they have to pull into bed with them. (laughs) Well, some girls do. You can't speak for every girl. Well, I know. But a lot of girls... A lot of girls would pick the guy who's not handsy yeah. over the guy oh, yeah. who is. Totally, totally. Now, in the meantime, before this picnic, a couple of things have happened. Uh, an inspector has come to inspect his livestock and then tries to look into this gate, which is locked. Vincent scares him, and then he gets upset and is like, no, you should take them into the vet. They're, there's like a fungus on their hooves or whatever. And then he comes back later that night to sneak in and find out what's behind that gate. And when he finds a person planted in the ground, he takes a burlap sack off of its head. Like it's, I don't know, I've seen this before, actually. And sometimes you'll do this with certain crops to, like, protect them or something. I don't know. I don't know what you... Like, you just see all these burlap sacks planted like they're vegetables or something. But I don't know. I don't know. I'm not it's usually like a bulbs. farmer. Yeah, that, that sort of thing. But he finds a head sticking out and it just kind of screeches at him. Okay. And then Vincent hits him with a shovel and says, another spot check, Bob. Another spot check, Bob. It's a great line. Uh-huh. And he gives a very, he delivers it wonderfully. I here. gotta say, he's fantastic in this role, Rory he Calhoun. He's great. He commits and he's it totally is very into good. the weirdness. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it is believable 100%. And it is great. Let's talk about the people. Oh, you mean Ivan and the Terribles? Those people or just the people in general? Just the people that are in the ground. Okay. It is a terrifying concept. Yeah. It is horrific. Like I said, he is not just killing these people. He's keeping them alive. He's keeping them alive. Now, we're never really explained why. Because when he does go to kill them, he kills like all of them at the same time. Yeah, he killed, well, he killed three. It's weird. Okay, so he also kills a band in a van called Ivan and the Terribles. It's a good band name. Yes. <laughs> Including the drummer, I think, who is John Ratzenberger. Saw that, noticed it. Uh-huh. This is two years before Cheers would start. And it's a full seven years before he was in House 2. <laughs> but, so they're also involved. He kills... The three guys, but there was a girl with them, too, that he hadn't killed by this point. She's still alive at the end of the movie. Yeah, you're right. He does not kill all of them at the same time, but... And he didn't kill Bob yet, either, so he's, like, killing them out of order. He's killing them completely out of order. What's the requirement for when they're ready? Exactly. I Mm -hmm. don't know. And and what? How are they getting ready by being in the ground? Is it, like, softening up their muscle tissue to make their, their meat? more tender or like I would assume it has something but to why do they have them? to be planted uh, exactly I don't know he also uh tears out their vocal cords which like, again is terrifying. so all they can do is scream kind of like in the loved ones where all he can do now is basically scream and they do they screech basically they gurgle and yeah. it is very unsettling and it is very uncomfortable to look at and watch and like, I know what you're thinking. You've seen lots of movies like this. Why is this uncomfortable? I think it's because there's so many of them. And I think it's because they're just planted in the ground and there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to it. Yeah. And they're very, and that very. Makes it even creepier. They're disoriented, but they're not like. He doesn't 
lobotomize them or no. or anything. He just keeps them alive and feeds them sludge. Because what he says is there's no reason to be cruel. cruel. Yeah. There's no reason to. We should probably say that they're very religious and they think they're doing the Lord's work here. I guess population control. Yeah, they're helping out the environment. Man. Uh-huh. And and generating more food. Their food lasts longer and they can feed more people this way. But they're also very religious in other ways. There's also a priest character, like a televangelist character played by Wolfman Jack in this movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's going to have a role throughout and kind of nothing comes of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the picnic... I did want to point out, because this is for me personally, they're drinking Olies. Oh, are they? They're drinking Olympia beer, which is like my grandpa's beer. When my grandpa passed away, my brother got a tattoo of the Olympia horseshoe because like that was like you my grandpa's signature beer. Thing. I do. Yeah, I have a I have a, a an Olympia branded tray that I need to give my brother so he can put it up in his garage. But yeah, like, so I, I just was like, oh, 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 <laughs> they're drinking Olympias. Okay, so, yes, Wolfman Jack is going to be how Bruce finds out that they are planning on getting married, Terry and Vincent. And it's happening tomorrow, so if, so if he wants to get in on that, he's got to get there fast. Yeah. So he rushes over to Vincent's house, and he tries to convince Terry not to marry Vincent, he tells her that he has syphilis of the brain. I yeah, don't that he's know crazy. He's lying. Yeah, it sounds like just a desperate attempt to get her not to stay with him. But he is crazy, so I'm just like, yeah. I don't know what's true here. Yeah, I don't either. But she tells him, "I'm in love with him, and you can't stop us from getting married." This whole time, by the way, she's just been free to walk around. Yeah, one hundred percent. Like, yeah, the door is locked. But, like, if she decided to hop the fence like Bob did, like, they're just not watching her at all times. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Think about it. Bob, like Mm -hmm. you said, the guy who checks on his farm. The inspector guy, yeah. He looks and gets caught, right? Yeah. At the very beginning, we have the twins that are about to find out, uh, but they get scared and run away. Uh, We also have a part where... Terry, after being told by Vincent that he wants her to join the family business, she starts walking around in those areas, which at that point, before that, she had had no reason to. Yeah. And then Ida will catch her, and she'll almost find a dead body, and Ida will stop her. Yeah. And that's what leads to the tubing, because she because Ida finds out that she's supposed to be working with them, which yeah. Ida doesn't like. And she gets jealous that Vincent's going to tell her the secrets and, and let her become part of the family, because she likes it that it's just her and her brother. Mm-hmm. And then we have a very strange scene where... Again, trying to be kind and cruelty-free, they hypnotize the people yeah. before they break their necks, and it is so weird. So, at this point, they've knocked out Terry with her champagne. Ida drugs the champagne, because they're celebrating the engagement. Ida drugs her sh- her champagne, and it's just straight up green now, and she doesn't even <laughs> notice. Yes. Uh, and she gets knocked out, and they're going to use this opportunity to actually do some cultivating of their crop. And yeah, this is where they hypnotize these three rockers who've been in the ground for several days at this point. And he calls it a radical hypno high. Now, 
As you check out the swirling colors, notice how your heads become more and more mellow. Each word I say will take you farther and farther into a radical hypno-high. Heavier, but smoother than any trip you've ever had. Because he's trying to, like, appeal to these guys because he knows that they're druggies. Like, oh, let me take expose you to a radical hypno-high. And then they put their magic necklaces on, which are just nooses. That's been tied to the back of his tractor, and he drives the tractor to snap their necks. You boys know about astral projection? All right, now, by the time I count to ten, we're going to project you beyond Mars. We're going to send you to a place where people are so far out, they have wings. All right, here we go. Ten. Nine. Go pilot Ida. Put the space belts on our passengers. Aye, aye, Captain Vincent. Space belts in place, Captain. Seven. Six. Five. Go pilot Ida. Secure the hatches and prepare for takeoff. Aye, aye. Four. Ready for takeoff. Two. One. Very strange. John Ratzenberger is now dead. <laughs> I I guess that's supposed to be funny. I He does say after this a line that's pretty funny. Sometimes I wonder about the karmic implications of these actions. Right, and I thought that was great, but then he continued with yes, it. Yes, it doesn't make a lot of sense when he continues. And he acted like, no, it's all okay. And I was like, I do not understand. We're doing the Lord's work. Wouldn't the, wouldn't the karmic implications be good then? Exactly. Like, yeah, uh-huh. I, I'm confused. Oh, sometimes I, I wonder about the karmic implications of these acts. I can no more take credit for it. The good we've done here tonight than if if that great pilot in the sky blessed each of them with a bolt of lightning through their hearts. Of course. Your spaceship awaits you, Captain. But because they moved the ground, Bo can get out? Yeah, he because yeah, when when they yanked those guys up, it loosened the soil, and Bo's eventually going to get out. But because Bruce is so pissed off that he's been rejected by Terry and he's mad at his brother, he starts investigating things like her accident. And he finds that their motorcycle was shot by a shotgun. That's why it crashed. And then he does some inspecting on his own. And we don't really see all of this, but this is when he finds the 200 cars in the lake. We do see like one or two. Mm-hmm. And he goes and he tells Terry, who... While Ida and Vincent are doing the butchering and preparing the meat to be smoked. Right. I forget what he does or says to prove it to her, but he does convince her. And they are going to leave. He shows her the shot, I think. Maybe. and From then the shotgun shell. Ida shows up. 
Yeah, and knocks Bruce out and grabs Terry. Mm-hmm. And so now Terry is being confronted by Vincent. And he's like, because she had asked to learn about smoking, and he was really, really excited about that before the engagement. So he tells her, basically, you know, I was hoping to expose you to this in my own way and in my own time. And I was hoping you would join in on this business with me and we could do it together. But that's not the way it turned out. Because now you're rejecting it. Because of course she is. Yes. She just found out about all this stuff. And it's like, holy shit. Yes. Uh, And he's just like, I don't get why you're so upset. I'm not doing anything cruel. I treat my animals well. And it's like. I treat them better than most other farmers treat their livestock. And she asks him, what right do you have to play God? And he's just like, I'm not playing God. I'm helping him. Well, he says, and I love this line, I wouldn't even know where to start. (laughs) I'm just helping. What right do you have to play God? I'm not trying to play God. I wouldn't even know how to begin. I'm just helping out. There's too many people in the world. Not enough food. This takes care of both problems at the same time. These people in this county have been eating this meat for 30 years, and they have been loving it. Uh Uh-huh. He goes, but you know what? I guess Ida was right. She told me you'd never fit in. I'm very sorry, Terry. So he ties her up on a conveyor belt that's going to take her towards a blade. It's like a slicing blade. And Chris was not happy about it. It it would not... (laughs) Functionally, this kind of blade is no threat to a person that's been tied up this way. But it reminded me of Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Yes, sure. Mm-hmm. Except that blade could really do some damage. Yes. So there, yeah, there is a difference. It's a stationary blade. And then the tray, once you get to the end of the conveyor belt, it just slides you into the blade. But the tray has just a little nub to push you along. Like, all you would have to do is just lift up your head so it doesn't get pushed by that little device, and then the blade would hit your shoulder, not on the pointy end, and you'd just be safe. You'd just be able to chill there the entire time. (laughs) Like, yeah, it doesn't... Anyway, but what is important here (laughs) is that this is all happening while Bo, who has crawled up out of the ground... And let everyone else And let everyone else out, who then they go and attack Ida, who is going to check on Bruce... He finds a way in through the skylight of the smoke room and drops in and attacks Vincent. So he and Vincent are fighting now. And this is what gives Terry time to survive because Ida's going to get attacked by all the what are effectively treated as zombies, but they're really just disoriented people who can't speak. Yes, they act like they walk like zombies, but I guess it makes sense because they, you know. They've been in there so long. They've been... Not fed very well, you know, they've been isolated, they can't speak, they're very traumatized. So obviously they're not going to be, like, at full capacity, and their limbs are going to be weak, so they're going to be stumbling around everywhere. But there's a lot of them, so they they manage to attack and kill Ida, which allows Bruce to get away, uh, and he goes and saves Terry just after... Vincent manages to kill Bo by just, I guess, throwing him and locking him in the smoke room. So he dies of smoke inhalation, I guess. I, no, we never see Bo him. again. He oh, you're right. Him. And then drops his body in yeah. the smoke room. Yeah. But uh, I think you're forgetting the fact that <laughs> Bruce does not just come in. He, he fires a shotgun. Zip lines oh, in. Oh, 
No, okay, so that's, so he starts fighting Vincent. Vincent comes out after having killed Bo, wearing a pig's head for no good goddamn reason. Oh, but it's great. It's a great image. It's the best part of the film. It's what was on the cover of the movie, right? Like, it's Vincent, he comes out, he's wearing plaid and overalls, and wearing a giant pig's head, and he's wielding a chainsaw. And so now Bruce has to fight his older brother. It is a chainsaw fight. Yes. So Mandy stole it. <laughs> yes. Uh, apparently that was a last minute decision and it was the hardest part of filming. And it was the best decision. Yeah. So they're fighting while Terry's on this conveyor belt. And uh, yeah, when he finally does manage to lodge his chainsaw into Vincent's side, he comes bursting out of the room and into the room where Terry is on... Okay, so there's a line that you you hook the carcasses on, and then you slide them into the smoke room. And so he comes out on one of those devices, <laughs> Indiana Jones style, swinging into the room. I'm I'm here to save you. Yes. Da, 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 da. And then he just helps his brother out of the pig's head. Well, I don't want you to die wearing this. He saves Terry. They go back in to see Vincent. He's still alive. Takes the pig's head off and says... To Bruce, I want you to have the farm. It I'm not mad anymore. I'm not mad that you killed me. Well, he's like, I'm already dying. You know, you're my brother. What's done is done, basically. But then he laments his situation and what he's been doing. And then he says, and I'm the biggest hypocrite of all. Oh, my, my whole life, my whole life has been a lie. I, I never of them all. What do you mean? I... I need... I... I... used... preservatives. And then he dies. (laughs) And so Bruce and Terry come walking out of motel hell. And Bruce is like, shit, what the hell happens now? I guess there's going to be an investigation. And Terry says, just burn the place down. You mean arson? Bruce is like, you mean arson? (laughs) And she's like, that's what I do. This place is evil. Mm. And then we see the sign explode. (laughs) To reveal it just says Motel Hell now, and then credits. Did we say that Ida gets... We didn't say how she died. Okay, well, she was also buried... Head first. Head first. (laughs) Which we only find out when they take the bag off of what are her feet. Yes. Yeah, and she dies underground that way. I guess. They just walk away. (laughs) Fuck it. (laughs) She stops moving. Her legs are kicking, and then they stop. So, okay. Not our problem. No, not our problem. (laughs) And that's Motel Hell. As you can see, the motel had practically nothing to do with the movie. I have lots of little things I'd like to point out. Yes, please do. Last minute. Lightning round. Yes. um, There were a lot of lines that I liked. Yes. Not necessarily because they were funny, but because they stood out to me for various reasons. Uh Uh-huh. 
Uh, for example, when he first brings Terry in and uh, Ida says, what'd you go and do, Vincent? He explains and she goes, fine, I'll fix your flower for you. And I was like, okay. That's interesting, yeah. Uh-huh. Interesting. It gives credence to the idea that he thought that she was beautiful, not in a horny way. Yes. But in like a she's God's most beautiful creature. We barely touch on these little twins at the very beginning of the film. They're with the family that was staying in the motel. But again, it doesn't matter because they're just leaving at the beginning of the movie. But there are some funny things that happen. So when they go in, we like I said, they go in to look at the place where they kill the animals. And she, the girl goes... I dare you to go first. And she goes, only darers go first, or dares do the dare, or whatever. Yeah, dares go first is what she says. Chris and I were like, what? That's not a thing. (laughs) But maybe it should be. Maybe it's like, you dared me to do it, I'll do it. But since you dared me, you have to go first. Like, that sounds reasonable. And whatever they see, I don't think they see a person. They see a pig carcass. And that makes them start screaming. And they run to the car screaming. And the mom just goes, how peculiar. They're ne- they never behave like this. <laughs> Vincent's like, oh, I'll calm him down. And he looks in the window and he smiles. And then he goes, ah! He scares them into stop screaming. <laughs> and it totally works. Yes. It kind of sets the tone for the movie. It's that kind of weird. It's not laugh out loud funny. It's just strange. Yeah, and another like kind of funny strange moment is when Terry is first deciding to stay with Vincent because she's like, "What am I doing here?" Well, but she's also like, "Where am I gonna go?" Well, that that's her next question, yeah. and she's like, "I only had Bo. Like, should I just go home?" And they're like, "Why? You have yourself." It was clearly preordained that you were meant to come here. And she's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. right. Yeah. I feel good here. He didn't say anything that made any logical sense. No. You feel all alone in this world. None of us are ever really alone. You do have someone. What do you mean? Well, you have yourself. Think about it. You've been blessed, child. Oh, the ways of the Lord are mysterious. The very fact that you're sitting here with us proves that it was preordained. Yeah. I guess you're right. Again, I think that that's supposed to be funny. Just like... But it's just weird. Just like your friend died this morning before sunrise and I went to the cemetery... And buried him before sunrise. Now, obviously, that's not true. But even still, how does your story make any sort of sense? Also, within a few days of your tragically killed boyfriend, you not only go on a date with a dude, you also plan to get married to another dude. Another dude who is like, what, 40, (laughs) 50 years older than you? But I mean, whatever. Love is blind. (laughs) We also didn't mention that there was a couple of women coming home from a convention or something. How does he stop them? Oh, I forgot. I love this. He sets up like two-dimensional cow cutouts standees with giant googly eyes. And that stops them. And then he, when one goes to look and it's like, what? They're just fake. He pops out from behind them and like gasses her and then has to stop the other one. She's the voice over the radio 
who says, help me, help me, somebody's trying to kill me. That breaks up the date when they're watching the movie at the drive-in. But that brings me back to the idea that Vincent gets a renewed appreciation for a lot of things after starting this relationship with Terry. One of those is like, I want to go back to like one of the things I really enjoyed about collecting these humans. And that is it gave me a chance to be creative, to tap into my innate creativity. Caps work out okay? Yeah. You know, I'm just beginning to realize how important they are to me. The bear traps? How's that, Vincent? No, no, no. I mean the traps. Shooting out the tires. Chains stretched across the highway. And the way we had you lying by the side of the road next to that old Chevy we set on fire. <laughs> you know what I mean, the traps. Oh, sure. But how come they're so important to you? Well... Because they give me a chance to be creative. Oh, sort of artistic. Yeah. And that way, the work we're doing here will always be as special as it is important. You know what? That's fascinating. I love that. I really, really like that. Another great line by Ida is when Vincent is talking to her about the seriousness of what they are doing, and he's surprised by her. He's like, wow, I didn't know that you realized why we were doing this. <laughs> and she's just like, you think I'm doing this all for the fun? We're doing it for the planet. And I just, there's just a sincerity there. Yeah, there's something funny. There's something like, you know what? You know what? I think this movie would be probably like a cult masterpiece more so than you know it already has kind of a cult following more so than than it is right now if it was made by john waters if this was a john waters movie because i get really sort of like a pink flamingos or crybaby sort of humor out of it but it's not weird enough for that. I think it, it this would be a great John Waters movie. I if John Waters had done this, you're probably right. It probably would have been a million times better. I've never seen Pink Flamingos, but I've seen Cry Baby and of course we've done a Serial Mom. Yeah. And I've seen a bunch of his movies and I think that you're right. I think he could have done better with it because I think John Waters has a better understanding of what's funny. Yeah, and he has a love for weirdness that I think really would have I do out not the good think stuff. this movie suffered from not being weird. It just didn't know how to make that funny. I don't think it loved its weirdness enough. And that's what that's what makes John Waters movies interesting is that he loves his weirdos. I think we talked about that when we were talking about Serial Mom. He just loves every one of his weird, weird characters. And I think that really would have shown through if he had directed this. I like when the orgy couple shows up. And the guy asks, this place is cool, right? And Vincent says, I can turn the heat up if you like. And he's like, oh. It was great. Another <laughs> sort of like, uh, I, I mean, I mentioned this in a negative sense in the last episode about how the movie's trying to elbow you and be like, eh, eh, eh. It just reminds me of the nudge, nudge, wink, wink sketch from Monty Python. It's like, oh, wicked, wicked, eh, wicked. Hey, this place is cool, isn't it? Well, we can turn up the heat if you like. Oh, that's true. You said turn up the heat if you like. That's true. Oh, wicked. You're wicked. You're wicked, eh? Nudge, nudge. I ain't not as good as a wink to a blind bat. 
Like, that's the response that the orgy dude gives him. I love the guy. The guy in the orgy couple is great. He, he had this very Sonny Bono, yeah. like, look to him. And he just had this great, he's just excited about everything. Everything makes him happy. And so he was a lot of fun to watch. And, you know, his girl, his wife or whatever, she was obnoxious and annoying. But he was fun. Yeah. I wonder if they're into animals. I hope so. Yeah, that even, like, Jesus. <laughs> So that's Dick Curtis, by the way, who was playing that character, Guy Robert, or Guy Robert. So, Kelsey, what do you think the movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? I'm sure it's high. Um, maybe in 80? 71. Oh. Eerie and satirical, Motel Hell has no vacancy when it comes to lowbrow horror gags. Metacritic of 64. Do you think it's overrated or underrated? Overrated. Okay. What would you give it? I'm going to give it a 60. It's not a great movie. It didn't make me laugh. It is creepy. I will give it that. Seeing people like in that position and gurgling because they can't talk, it is very unsettling. And Vincent does a great job. I loved Ida. Yep. It is weird. But it's not a great movie. I will give it a 68. 68. Just not quite 70 material for me. It, Like I said, it's just like all the weirdness is what fascinated me with it. And I was totally engaged the entire time just to see what weird thing would happen next. It just wasn't weird enough. Like it, it, it just was, it felt like it was holding back almost. It had all these really weird concepts. It just didn't execute them with gusto mm -hmm. like it could have. Yeah. And, and that's why I'm saying like, if this was a John Waters movie, I think it'd be really cool. So yeah, 68. But yeah, it's the 60s. Like it's good-ish. It's fine. It's fine. Like it's on the positive end of the scale. Yeah. I didn't walk away from it hating it, but I, I certainly don't get why a lot of people love it. Yeah, it's. I guess it's just that it's 1980, and this is strange, you well, know? But if you're looking for strange shit, there is a lot more out there that is funny or In legitimately scary. Like, this this is weird and creepy and unsettling, but it's just kind of that. It's not truly scary. It's not truly funny. It's not funny at all, really. I laughed a couple times. <sighs> <laughs> it didn't go far enough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, if you're going to dip into that weird territory, you need to go further. You need to commit to it more. That is 1980s Motel Hell. Going right into our next Motel movie, 2003's Identity. Directed by James Mangold, who directed Girl Interrupted, Walk the Line, 310 to Yuma, Logan... So, like, he's directed a wide swath of things. Uh, written by Michael Cooney, who wrote and directed Jack Frost's 1 and 2. Oh, no. Starring John Cusack, Ray Liotta, Amanda Peet, John C. McGinley, Clea Duvall, who we just saw in The Faculty, Alfred Molina, Doc Ock, Jake Busey, Rebecca De Mornay, who was Winnie in the TV version of The Shining that we watched. It has a huge cast, just like a bunch of faces, you know. What is Identity about? A group of people get stuck at a motel in the middle of a storm. 
and one by one they're picked off. And at the same time, we have a whole other story of a person being interviewed to see if he is mentally insane. Yes. The movie is available with a subscription to Hulu, or you can rent it for $4 and buy it for $13 on most services. Should people watch Identity? I'm going to say it again. I know you're not going to like it. I I won't like it. I don't think you should see this. I think it is a waste of your time. I totally get that. I totally understand that. But I am still 100% committed to, I liked it. I really, really enjoyed it. It, it. I feel like the twist in the movie is not cheap. Uh, I can understand why people think it is, though. And so I totally do not begrudge people that walk away going, that was fucking stupid. I just love how thing piles on top of thing piles on top of thing. And there's a mystery, but the movie lets you off the hook like really early on. And it keeps telling you that something impossible is happening here. Like throughout the entire movie, something impossible is happening here. Something impossible is happening here. Something impossible is happening here. And so I feel that when you finally learn the twist, you shouldn't be like, Oh, come on. Because it's been telling you the entire time that it's going to be something semi-supernatural. Like, it could have been aliens and I would have been just as satisfied. I would have preferred it if it had been something mystical, something (laughs) magical, something out of this world, something supernatural. But it's not. Yes. I would say you should see it, but with the caveat of it's a coin toss, whether or not you'll walk away liking it. And Kelsey says, don't bother. And I get that. You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2003's identity. What happened at the motel? It was an accident. We had an accident. On April 25th. The roads were all flooded and I could use a room. I am not staying here. Are you out of your mind? Ten strangers. I'm stuck here. I don't think we can get out tonight. Are about to discover. Maybe there's some connection between all of us. They're not strangers. My birthday next week. Me too. Me too. At all. Yeah. This doesn't make any sense. We need to leave. I saw it. We all saw what happened. Identity. Rated R. Okay, Kelsey, get us started. How does identity begin? I met a man upon the stair who wasn't there or something like that. That's a famous poem, but he says that he came up with it. Yeah, that is a weird thing. Why pretend like you made up a famous poem? Yeah, I don't know. Does that say something about it's all a lie? This is all made up? It's not really real, but I don't think it is. I don't think that's what the movie's trying to say. It's a weird thing. The poem is, as I was going up the stair, I met a man who wasn't there. He wasn't there again today. I wish I wish he'd go away. It's just supposed to be creepy. Like, why not just say it's a poem you heard as a child Mm -hmm. instead of one you wrote as a child? Mm -hmm. It's weird. This is Pruitt Taylor Vince playing Malcolm Rivers, the killer that is about to be put to death. We know him as Father Hennessy from Constantine. Yes. But he's been in a fuck ton of other things. You've (laughs) seen him, you know who he is. He's going to be put to death, but his defense is saying that evidence was withheld by the prosecution. One of his notebooks, which shows that he was writing in it as several distinct personalities that were not aware of the other personalities in his head. You're not supposed to find that out till the end, but yes. You even see in the book that it says, well, I guess, yeah, that's the, at some point in the movie, you do 
see that they're saying things like, stop writing in my journal. Who is this? And stuff like that. Like he's talking to himself in this way and they're going to bring him in to interview him about whether or not he has the mental capacity to be executed. If you're not able to comprehend why you're being executed, then you are not fit to be executed, which is really weird because the movie is going to put forth that he needs to be cured before his execution date in order for him to be rescued from his execution. Number one, that's not how it works. Number two, it wouldn't have to be in front of the judge. And number three, if you cure him, wouldn't he then have the mental capacity to be executed? So what you're saying is this isn't the best writing? I'm saying the resolution doesn't make any sense. The content of the movie is good. I see. (laughs) I see. Anyway. So let's talk about the actual events of the movie. Get us started. He tells us about his childhood. His mother was a sex worker and would put him in a motel room when she was hooking. Yes. So he hates his mother. Calls her a whore. Explains that he gets bad headaches, which later the detective will say, because the detective is one of him. One of his personalities. Also, one of yeah, his spoilers. personalities. Yeah, spoilers! Yeah, also one of his personalities is a hooker. Yeah, and somebody who hates her for being a sex worker. But so all of this takes place in his mind, and I mean, I guess I'm fine with it. And it's just, it just seems like, here's what it felt like the first time I watched it. The second time I've, this is the second time I've seen it, and it feels better, better constructed than I thought before. But the first time I saw it, it felt like somebody wrote a story, this fun story about these people stuck in a motel in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a valley where they can't get out because they are washed in. The roads are washed out. Yes. It's a wash. <laughs> Go listen to our episode on the stand. <laughs> but also, it reminded me of Tremors being stuck in a valley like that. Sure, yeah. But the problem with this is they have too many characters. Well, there are ten characters. This is, and then there were none. Right. Which was an Agatha Christie novel. It used to be called, when I was a kid, it was called Ten Little Indians. Right. And before that, when it was first published, it had an even worse name. Oh, did it? Oh, yeah. (laughs) But what I was saying is there are too many characters that do not get developed, like, at all before they die. And they just felt like fodder for a murderer. And so it felt like a person wrote this story of this, like, this crazy murderer and all these crazy things are happening and who done it, who done it. And then they couldn't figure out who done it. So they wrote another story and tacked it on. Yeah, but I mean, since it is very heavily influenced by and then there were none, they could have just made it that story. Like, it has a built in culprit, but it feels like a conscious choice that there's a twist as to who done it. There is one specific person amongst these ten that did it. Yeah, but he couldn't have really done any of it, so... It shows you... It shows him doing it. Although, yes, he does have a lot of power that somebody in his position would not normally have. He's able to do things that seem physically impossible. But the world is physically impossible. He also lets out out a lot. Sure, yeah. 
But, you know, he's going to take opportunities where he can get them. But, like, even Jake Busey, who plays the convict, he finds out that the world wraps in on itself. Like, yes. from that moment, you should be prepared that this movie is going to be slightly supernatural. But it's not supernatural. It is, because it's taking place in his head. And so it does it's not... just a crazy person. It's just taking place in his head. That's not supernatural. Well, okay, well then what would you say the cell is? Can not anything happen in his mind in the cell? We were totally fine with that. I never said that was supernatural. What I'm saying is... Anything can happen, thus marking it as supernatural. Anything can happen. Yes, I know. Kelsey was really excited about that. Um, my point is I'm calling it, quote unquote, supernatural because weird shit's happening. We just don't know right away that it's in somebody's head. And in the cell, we do. Like, that's the difference. Right, but that just feels like that was part of the... It, it felt like a vehicle to show you these beautiful, surreal things. Uh-huh. This just feels like a... But the real solution is a cop-out. Yes. Yeah. Like I said, I understand why, why you might think that. But also, like I said, there's a lot of characters that are just fodder. Uh-huh. The chick from the faculty, you barely Clea get Duval. to know her story. Yeah. We find out that she faked a pregnancy in order to marry somebody, but that it actually shoved hurt into this their one, relationship even like, more. Three minute scene, mm -hmm. just right before she dies. Yeah, well, we have primary characters, and those <laughs> yes. characters are John Cusack, who plays Ed, Amanda Peet, who plays Paris. I mean, Larry's is kind of like exposited out, like just really quickly. Maybe you could say Ray Liotta's Rhodes, but basically the main characters in this scenario in the motel are John Cusack and Amanda Peet. Yes. And John Cusack is definitely the best part of this film. He's like our main character. Yeah. Yeah. And he, yeah, he carries a lot of this film on he does. his shoulders. Mm -hmm. Because his acting is definitely... It's, he's great in it. The best out of anybody's yeah. in here. I do like the... Motel runner. Notice how I call him runner. He's not the owner. <laughs> the owner's dead. <laughs> You're talking about Larry, but I guess either way you'd be talking about Larry because they're both named Larry. We first meet him playing a Wheel of Fortune drinking game. He takes a drink every time they buy a vowel. Oh, that's why he yes, constantly uh, wants them to buy vowels? Yes, uh -huh. Even uh, though he knew what the letter was, he was still telling them to buy vowels, and that's why. Every time he did, he would take a shot. I see. Yeah. Which I is see. so weird. <laughs> hey, an excuse to drink, I guess. Yep. But he was good, except that he, I mean, his character is annoying as shit, but he does a really good job with it. Yeah. Ray Liotta was way over the top. But I mean, he he's a convict of. playing a cop. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And Amanda Peet is just kind I of. I thought she was great. Eh. Until the end when it's supposed to get all sappy and sentimental. I thought she did a really good job throughout the movie. I really liked. What? Where do we know him from? John C. McGinley. Scrubs. Yes. I really liked him. He was very funny. When he first gets into a car accident, he talks himself through, uh -huh. like, turn into the spin, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> like, to say, stay uh -huh. calm, and I thought that was fun. Oh. Oh. Turn into spin. High brakes with short and firm pumps. Check 
mirror, engage indicator, and roll. Too slow. Smooth. Stop. That's the kind of character development, you know, you're looking for, but you don't get that from a lot of other characters because he's going to start the movie by showing up and being like, she won't stop bleeding. Yeah. And then we once get we get to know yeah. those characters, then it just kind of trickles out. Yeah. All the other characters are just like, squeeze them in right before they die. Well, the movie could have been, it was an hour and a half. It could have been two hours, but I don't think you would have liked that. No. But Cusack is a driver who was once a cop. Who gave it up because he failed in talking somebody off of a roof. He hesitated. He had training on what to say in that scenario, but for the life of him, he couldn't think of a reason why she should be optimistic. And his hesitation is something she caught. And so she jumped off the roof and he was like, fuck this. I need a leave of absence. (sighs) And he became a driver. And he's driving an actress who will be the first person to be killed. And we don't Yes, see, Rebecca De Mornay. We don't see how she dies, but she dies. She gets her head cut off by somebody. Oh, right, because it's in the dryer. Yeah. Like I said, Amanda Peet is a sex worker who will be verbally abused by the motel runner the whole movie. Uh, but she kills her Johns or just steals from them? Or she just did a really good job and has saved up all this money. We get no indication that she's done anything wrong. It's just an assumption we have because everybody here has some sort of darkness in them. Well, that, but also that she has a lot of money and what they chose to show us. Right. And what they chose to show us was her tying a guy up. And now, could she just be stealing from him? Sure. But he could easily identify her. Yeah. So that's what leads you to think that maybe she killed him, but we don't know. They never confirm they, anything. Yeah, they don't need to. She just has the money now, and she she got it some way that people like Larry would disagree with. Because yes. in his mind, being a sex worker is the same as theft, is the same as murder. Although it's not the same as theft because he's a thief. Yeah, no. He just doesn't like sex workers, and yep. that's a byproduct of the main, the real person not liking yeah, sex uh-huh. workers. But so, anyway, John Cusack driving is asked by the actress to look for a battery for her cell phone, which is why he's not looking at the road, which is why he ends up hitting the mother of the young boy. Yes. Let's just get it out there now. The young boy is the murderer. Now, here's the thing. We know that his father died. We don't know how or why. Because this new guy, the guy from Scrubs, who's very funny in this role, even though he's, you know, grieving. Yeah, John C. McGinley. He is the stepdad. So what we see is the mother putting her hand up to her son, son's hand, And so she's, like, mirroring what he does. Uh And the kid sits back. I guess the implication is that he knew a car was coming, which is why he wants her to take a step back. But also, how on earth would he predict that she would take a step back into a road? But also, how does she not hear a car coming? Like, there's a lot of just, sure, whatever. Yeah. Fine. Had it started raining by that point? I don't think she would have been standing out in the rain. Yeah, if it didn't no, have to be. I yeah. don't think so. This is Timmy, by the way. 
he will also kill the actress. Now, I, like I said, we don't really get to see what happens there, so fine, whatever. How he got away, how nobody noticed that the kid was gone, I don't know. They lose track of him several times during the course of this movie that we get to see. At one point, he causes an explosion. Yeah, this is what I'm saying. Now this is, this is like he's becoming more and more powerful. And since he is the core personality, Timmy, this little boy, is Malcolm Rivers. Like that is his murderous intent. That is the core personality of this serial killer. He is the most powerful, potentially. He also somehow causes... The stepdad to be? Oh, because the stepdad runs out and saves Yeah, him, he intentionally so. gets in front of a car and then stands there while the, the stepdad runs out to save him. And the stepdad gets hit by the, the truck that Larry is driving trying to get away in. How does Larry die? Rhodes shoots him. Okay, so that's just happenstance. How does Leota die? John Cusack shoots him. Okay, happenstance. Okay. And he is supposedly in that explosion, the little boy, Timmy. So he disappears from the story after that until the very end. Right. Which, where the fuck did he go? But none of these people are real. (laughs) I know. know. It's just, I don't, whatever. these, These are the things that bother me. Like, it just seems lazy. It's just like, oh, well, because... Amanda Pete thinks he died, then we don't see him anymore, even though he is alive. Yeah, like, yes, yes, that is exactly what happened. None of them are real. If this killer can imagine it, it can happen in his head. That's why they don't try to convince him that he needs to get rid of this killer personality. They try to convince one of his innocent personalities to do it. But then couldn't he imagine that they're all alive again? I think that that would require his personality fragmenting again. The point is, is that them dying in his mind is symbolic of that personality dying. I understand. Yeah. If he believes that they are dead, then that personality is gone. So why doesn't he believe that the boy is dead? If Amanda Pete believes the boy is dead. Well, because the boy is the one that caused that explosion. Look, I'm just saying Split did it way better. Split made it seem real. Split made it seem possible. Okay, yeah, but... This doesn't seem real. But you're talking about an external observation of dissociative identity disorder. We're talking about an internal dramatization of... Dissociative identity disorder. These are two completely different things. Which, by the way, let's not even pretend that this is going to be scientifically accurate to how (laughs) DID works. We're not going to pretend that. It's dramatic license. But so every single person they realize has a key on them and it's counting down the numbers Hence, and then there were none. And then there were none. And it's in ways, again, it couldn't possibly be a killer doing it. Because, for instance, John C. McGinley has one of those numbers on him when he gets hit by the truck. Mm -hmm. There's no way the killer could have planted it there. That's the sort of thing that we're dealing with here. There is some sort of greater superpower tied to Timmy, this little boy. There's a weird thing. When Ray Liotta shows up, like Chris said, 
he is posing as a cop. Yeah. Even though he is actually a convict who mm-hmm. killed a cop and is now taking Busey as his his con. Yeah. It's so fucking intriguing. I'm sorry. I love it. We see him without his jacket, and there's a bloody hole in the back of his shirt, but there appears to be no injury on Ray Liotta. Yes. Oh, that's true. Yes, like, that is cool. That's really interesting. And you could you could think immediately, like, okay, he's also a con and he's posing as this cop. Fine. But it doesn't mean that that story isn't compelling. Mm-hmm. That's true. I will give it that. The reason I bring him up is because when he first pulls into the motel parking lot, the girl from the faculty will be like, did you just feel that? I felt a cold presence. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, like, they're trying to make you think that Busey is the murderer, which they're going to... Like, outright tell you that he's not. Yeah, they're going to outright tell you he's not by killing him But I think they, they want you to think that he is the killer personality... Of these personalities, if you clock that. that. I get that. And then when he dies, it's supposed to be, wait, then who's the killer? Right. But what I think they should have done is kept that for way later. I can see why that would be a concern. But by that point, they've already revealed to Busey that the world isn't real. Right. When he was alive. So they've already started unraveling the reality of everything by that point. So it just needs to come sometime in that window. But I can see why you might think that it would be more compelling if they waited longer. Mm -hmm. But then you start to think, okay, then it's obviously Ray Liotta at that point. Yes, exactly. And you have that in the back of your mind because she said that thing about, do you feel that cold presence? And they like mm-hmm. play the mood music when yeah. they show up. But yeah, it's not it's not true. Yep. I guess you're supposed to be feeling it from her perspective, but what? Is she an empath? <laughs> yeah. That's an early look into something fantastical going on. It's a very, very soft touch. You might see that in a completely unfantastical movie. But it's Where a somebody lie. says, oh, I feel a cold chill. Right, but it's a lie. We don't know it's a lie. She might actually have felt that. I understand I understand that the character is not lying. Yeah, so why do you care that it's a that it didn't really happen? Well, because the script is just outright lying. Oh, you're you. saying okay, yeah, I see what you're saying. You're saying that cold chill equals the ultimate murderer has just arrived. Nobody said that. Nobody said that has to be the case. This, these two insane convicts just showed up and she's getting a cold chill out of that. Why does her getting a cold chill have to mean that the, because she had no idea anyone had shown up. She's in her room. Yeah. Putting stuff away. She didn't even see a car show up, but these are the scary, intimidating personalities. So the world is giving her that cold chill because he feels this killer feels this cold chill, feels a certain way out of about these two personalities, Ray Liotta and Jake Busey. He feels a certain way. These two are obviously and externally bad guys. And so when they show up, that feeling of bad thing is going to permeate the world. And one of those characters happens to pick up on that. That's it. So because Cusack has a background as being a cop, he knows certain things. So he knows how to do how to sew somebody up. Uh huh. And she needs some some the mother needs some sewing. Well, he knows that he needs to, but he's never done it before. 
And he does. And the motel owner is like, wish I had beige. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's really funny. John C. McGinley stands behind him and is like, where'd you learn how to do that? And he's like, well, pretty much right where you're standing. (laughs) I thought that was a good line. There's some pretty good lines in this. Mm -hmm. And John Cusack has a lot of them. But not all of them, as, as we just said. I don't know why Cusack doesn't pick up quicker that Leota isn't a cop. Because it's pretty obvious that he's not the way he behaves. He probably knows a lot of cops that are like that. I guess. Gruff assholes. Right. No, I understand that. But he just, he seems unaware of certain things, Mm -hmm. you know? He's just giving him the benefit of the doubt during all this. I guess. But he's very frustrated with Leota because Leota is not constantly trying the radio for an ambulance Mm -hmm. and that is because leota is a convict he doesn't want any officials showing up no and like for example when they find her head in the dryer leota goes to pick up the key that he sees yeah and cusack is like dude what are you doing use this yeah like hands him a pen or something Prince. Yeah, uh-huh. How are you not thinking about that if you're a cop? It's a nod to us. And you're saying, well, why the hell? If it's a nod to us that we can understand, why the hell wouldn't an actual cop have picked up on that? Yeah. But again, I'm sure he knows a lot of really shitty cops. Probably. There are some fun shots with lightning. Throughout this, Mm -hmm. they use lightning to good effect. And it is raining the entire time. Yes, and I will give it this. You're never questioning what's going on on the screen. Yeah. It's very well lit, uh, which seems seems like a (laughs) stupid thing to think is a good thing. But we have seen a lot of movies that do not know how to use darkness correctly. Uh And this movie certainly does. So Mm -hmm. the cinematography is definitely there. Mm Mm-hmm. Is the cinematographer anyone famous? I mean, he was the DP on Cool Runnings and Biodome. <laughs> I hate you so much. No, but he also did 310 to Yuma and Walk the Line, which the director did as well. His name is uh, Faden Papa Michael. Okay, cool. Thank you. Recently, he, he did Trial of the Chicago 7, Ford versus Ferrari, he was the cinematographer on Nebraska. Do you remember Nebraska? Nope. It's the black and white movie with Bruce Dern and Will Forte. Nope. <laughs> it's about an old man wanting to win the lottery. Well, he won the lottery and he needs to claim the money. And so he and his son go on a road trip. No. It was very highly regarded. Oh. Okay. That's cool. <laughs> But so the girl the girl from the faculty who has lied to her husband to get him to marry her by saying she's Clea pregnant. Leah Duval. Who is not actually pregnant. Her husband, who is from Butterfly Effect, he's the dick brother, he is killed while she is stuck in the bathroom. She's freaking out in the bathroom. He's being very aggressive. It's intense. And then somebody shows up and he says, what are you doing here? We don't get to hear who it is. Then he starts banging on the door again, demanding that she open up and then silence. She sees a shadow when she opens up the door. Mm -hmm. We see a lot of shadows in various points of the movie, actually. Yes, but the shadows are not as good of effect to me. They're fine. 
partially because they're adult sized. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like there's so much force on that door. Yeah. That it should have been an adult, but it's not. Mm-hmm. It's a kid. But again, he's super powered. I guess. But so Busey is at one point tied to a post, which is how he which is how the kid's gonna be able to kill him by sticking a baseball bat down his throat. Which was an awesome effect I remember when I first saw the movie. I was like, holy shit. Well, what I don't like about this scene is the last thing we see here is Larry is left to watch him. <laughs> he's unconscious, Larry. He's tied to a post. Uh-huh. Like, because he's like, I can't handle I don't this. know if I feel comfortable doing this. <laughs> yeah. uh, Ed. I don't know if I'm comfortable with guard duty per se. He's unconscious, Larry. He's tied to a post. He notices that Larry is being weird around the freezer because the real owner of the hotel is there. But don't worry, Larry didn't kill him. He was already (laughs) dead when he showed up. According to Larry. According (laughs) to Larry. That's true. (laughs) But so Busey is like, I see you have a secret. I've got a Whopper myself. Oh, he's talking about Leota. Yeah. Okay. I was like, we never get to find out. Oh, it's yeah. Leota. The fact that Leota is his partner and they killed the cop who was in the cop car's trunk. Yes, that too. Which is another reason why he wants everyone to stay away from it. He is relying quite heavily on the fact that cop cars make people feel uncomfortable. <laughs> and you just assume that nobody's going to try to fuck with a cop car. Yes. That is what he is definitely relying on. Clea Duvall also at one point mentions that they're like surrounded by ancient Native American burial ground. Yeah, it's like a burial ground and And nothing happens with that. goes nowhere. It's a red herring. Maybe it's the burial ground. What? Read the brochure in there. It's all around us. A hundred years ago, the government moved these Indians here. They all died because there was no water. Well, now they're coming back to life like sea monkeys, huh? To maybe make you think about why all this weird shit is going on. They might be hunted by the spirits of the, you know, disrespected dead. Yeah, exactly. We don't get that here. No, that's not what's happening here. This is not a ghost story. It's not a ghost story. If you were getting excited that it might be a ghost story, don't get excited. Yeah. That's the only time they talk about it, and it's never that again. (laughs) Amanda Peet has, like, two Jennifer Love Hewitt moments. Yes. What are you waiting for, huh? What are you waiting for? She has one of those moments. Yes. Yeah. At one point, it is when she is saying, We all saw what happened. We all saw what happened. That's not possible. I was standing right there. I saw what happened. We all saw what happened. He ran out. Nobody could have known he was going to do that. No one human. Oh, sure. Back to that again. It's the spirits, huh? Maybe it's the ghost of the guy that Larry put in the freezer. Because she's saying this shit can't be real. Yeah. Because it's not Amanda Pete. Uh-huh. Because it's not. But you don't know that yet. <laughs> you actually never find that out. The only one who knows that she's it's not real. She's killed by the kid. Right. So she figures it out at the end. No, she just knows that the kid's there and he wants to kill her. But she never finds out that they're that they're actually personalities in somebody else's head. That is only John Cusack. 
that figures that out. Well, he doesn't figure that out. He's told directly. And then a little while later, she will have another one of those moments. I give up! Hey! I give up! What the hell do you want? What do you want, you sick pester? What the fuck do you want from us? I'm turning 30 next week, and I just want to go home and go working! Just like, oh my god! That was that was yes. It Everybody was cringy. Everybody wants to be Jennifer Love Hewitt, right? <laughs> this is post. I know what you did last summer, and they wanted that moment. Like this character could have been Jennifer Love Hewitt. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but again, I think Amanda Peet did a great job. I'm gonna turn thirty next week, and I just want to go home and grow oranges. Is Your birthday's what her next story week. Is. Yes. yes, they all are having their birthday next week. They all have it on the same day. Mm-hmm. I've May seen 10. calculations as to what that what the odds would be. First of all, the odds don't matter, but the calculations to me appear wrong. <laughs> okay. Like, without adjusting for birth rates and just taking each day being just as likely as another day, wouldn't 10 people having that birthday – oh, no, I guess it would be nine times, wouldn't it? Because I was thinking it's it's 365.25, that's the average number of days in a year, to the 10th power. But I guess it would just be to the ninth power. Let me see. I'm, I'm doing the math. Yeah, 115 sextillion. One in 115 sextillion chance fascinating baby i know it is isn't it (laughs) so i was wrong i thought it was to the 10th it's actually to the 9th but so the bodies start disappearing and they suddenly realize that they're all named after states and this is when john cusack takes over the body of the killer and this is when it's all revealed. It's and a I great gotta, moment. I will admit, it is well shot. And John Cusack does a great job. And, and. Unfortunately, it's just dumb. <laughs> Pruitt Taylor Vince as John Cusack? He does a great job, too, when he's screaming, what did you do to my face? Like, I loved that. That was great. And the fact I that his eyes are yes, jittery the entire good. time. And I just think he did a great job playing somebody who is confused and he's playing the role of ed ed dakota by the way is his name they all have silly names that's the point by the way yeah it's a really good job and that's where alfred molina has to break the news to ed that you don't actually exist Mm -hmm. but you will be executed if you cannot find the murderer and kill them So we can take out the murderous intent from this person and maybe help avoid the electric chair, which, again, it's not how any of that works. But that is the but those are the stakes that are presented. And so John Cusack is sent kind of back into it and he needs to do what he can to kill the killer. And he kills Leota and you think that's it. And Amanda Pete goes off to do oranges, and everything's great. Uh-huh. I would love to run an orange farm. He gets can killed by Ray Liotta. They kill can, each other, by the way. Can we do that for our retirement? Yeah, I would, that would be awesome. I would love Are to you kidding that. me? That would be great. I fucking love it. There are no orange groves in Orange County. It is so sad. <laughs> we just moved to Florida. Florida? Yeah. So, or, do oranges. Are there any orange groves left in Florida? Where no are oranges idea. grown anymore? <laughs> But anyway, it was Timmy all along. He shows up and he kills her. 
Yeah, and he calls her a slut again. No, he says specifically, Whores don't get, get a second chance. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Which is when he kills the doctor who saved his life. Yeah, he says that to the doctor, and the doctor's like, what? He kills them in his transportation after they think he's been cured. They think that John Cusack is successful. But I don't think John Cusack thinks he's he's successful. Why? Because he kills Ray Liotta. And we don't get any audio. We just get mouthing. Ray Liotta says, I didn't do this. And John Cusack says back to him, I know. How do you know that? Because I read it somewhere and I was waiting for that moment. And I watched it and sure enough. Well, maybe they meant to just take that out and that's why they took the audio out. Yes. That's what I'm thinking. So they didn't want that as part of their ending then. Yeah. But it's still in the movie. Right, but they didn't want the audience thinking that. Yes, exactly. I guess probably because they don't want the audience to know that the kid's coming. Yeah, well, that Rhodes wasn't the killer. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But So that's the movie. Yep. Killer kills everyone. He presumably escapes, and he is the only personality left, thus making him even more dangerous. Which, again, can't he just bring them back he wants to? That's not how fractured person... You can't just wish for a new personality and make it real. But, but you can when it suits you. That's what therapy's about, man. You can when it suits you that the guy, the kid dies and everyone thinks he dies, except for the kid. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think you understand that if he can be convinced that the personality isn't there, then it isn't there. He can't convince himself that the personality is there now. That's not how it works. You can't tickle yourself. So. Yes. What do you think Identity has on Rotten Tomatoes, Kelsey? I would imagine it's probably like a 79. 62. Holy shit. Identity is a film that will divide audiences. Yes. The twists of its plot will either impress or exasperate you. (laughs) Yep. It has a Metacritic of 64, but a cinema score of B, which honestly is a little shocking. I'm surprised it's not a C. Yeah, I'm surprised that ending didn't make a lot more people mad. Yeah. I'm surprised that many people came my way with a good impression of it. But do you think 62 is... Overrated or underrated? Maybe just slightly overrated. What would you give it? Actually, no, I'll give it a 62. Okay. I'll give it that. I'm going to be more generous again. I'm going to give it a 75. Holy crap. I really like it, and I can forgive it, the grievances that I have, because it's an entertaining movie. I just, it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I cannot 100% recommend it. There are problems with the movie, but I have a good time watching it. So I'll give it a 75. That's what matters. Yep. So big shout out to Nick and G. Soto who recommended our movies for this week. Thank you guys very, very much. I'm sorry. I didn't like them very much. (laughs) I am so happy I've seen Motel Hell. It was just such a unique experience. (laughs) And I'm really glad I got to see Identity again for the first time in a very long time. So thank you very much. That does it for our motel week. What are we watching next week, Kelsey? Next week is Father's Day. It is. Do we have any more Father's Day movies, Kelsey? What do we got? We have two series, in fact, that we have started and not completed. Oh, yeah. That focus on fathers. Is there a stepfather, too? There is a stepfather, too. Oh, my God. And he's in it. 
The same guy? Same guy. Okay. We really liked Stepfather, so yeah. I'm excited. Uh huh. Excited. I forgot that he lived. I thought he died. I don't remember how it ended. I thought he died. <laughs> I remember everything but the ending. But anyway, so Stepfather 2 and Insidious 2. Oh, whoop de whoop. Yes. Yes. These two movies, Insidious 1 and 2, they're, they go r- really well together. I know I kind of said a lot of bad things about Insidious last time, but I think that that was mostly because I am aware that it has a lot of flaws, but that does not mean I do not enjoy it. I do. Sounds so familiar. It is, it's a special movie for me and Chris, and when we saw Insidious 2, we were expecting it to be garbage, and a lot of people thought it was garbage, but Chris and I Really liked it. Yeah, no, really liked it. I'm excited for next week. Stepfather 2 and Insidious 2. Yes. Good picks, Kels. Until then, you can always find us on our website, podcemetery.com, or follow us on Twitter, at podcemetery. Don't forget to subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice, and rate and review. A five-star written review is the biggest help you can give us there. Even bigger than that is sharing us with your friends. And even bigger than that is listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? All right. You want a plan? Everybody want a plan? Here's the plan, okay? No one's gonna move. We're gonna stay here, like this, in this room, until dawn. No one leaves, no one moves. And if he tries anything, I'm going to shoot him. And if there's something out there and it comes in here, I'm going to shoot it. And if any one of us tries anything, I'm going to shoot him. I don't want to be buried in a pet cemetery. I don't want to live my life again. I don't want to be buried in a pet cemetery. Addicted to the sacred place To see a dream I can't escape More loosened fangs to the picking up bones Spirits moaning among the tombstones So all they can do is scream, kind of like in the young, um, I was going to say the young ones. The loved ones. I know, the young ones is a British television show, which, <laughs> which is very good. My meat had preservatives. I will give it a 98. Sorry, 98, Jesus. I was going to be like, um, what? <laughs> We're right here. What are you waiting for? What do you want? Yeah. What do you want? <laughs>